Many would argue that the centralization of the internet with gatekeepers and censorship of information has become problematic for innovation and slowing down the prosperity of human civilization. Today, we'll learn more about a project that is focused on Web3, delegated proof of stake, NFTs, dApps, decentralized internet, and an interesting concept called proof of brain. In episode three of Verify Crypto, we take a deep dive into a project called Hive. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Verify Crypto. Today, we have a special guest with us from the project called Hive. I introduce to you Crimson Clad. How are you doing today, Crimson? I am really excited to be here. I'm really uh, appreciative for the invite. Thank you for being here today. So tell us, what is your background and how did you get into cryptocurrency? Well, I would be, for most intents and purposes, before the Hive blockchain, I would probably be what most people would consider a normie. I'm I'm a creative in my day-to-day life. I do a lot of graphic design, uh, in-house photography, uh, and I'm also a web developer. And so in sort of the meat sack real world, I had a job that kind of had me constantly thinking about uh, my content and my relation to the work that I put out into the world. But it certainly didn't really prep me a lot for thinking about financial aspects or a lot of the reasons that people get into crypto. And so, you know, I live in Vancouver, BC, which is on the west coast of Canada, and it's an incredibly Ethereum-centric town. But it was also very early Bitcoin adoption. Some of the first Bitcoin ATMs were here. So I certainly had heard of crypto in my periphery, but it wasn't something that reached out and grabbed me at the time. And a friend had mentioned that there was a new social network that was powered by crypto and that you could share content there and potentially earn a little bit. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I really dislike social media in general, but I like the idea of maybe finding a place to share my content that gives something back. And so I tentatively kind of dove into the world of Steemit, which was the legacy blockchain that Hive forked away from. It's quite a quite an interesting story that I suspect we'll get into over tonight's kind of talk. But I came to this website that essentially felt a lot like Reddit. And the idea was you share content, a post, whatever it was that you were doing, and other people could upvote it because they liked it. But in this case, upvotes actually contributed to a distribution system for a crypto token. And at first I thought, well, that's interesting. Okay, cool. And then I became utterly fascinated. And it was such a fast descent um, from I don't really uh, I don't really have any interest in this type of uh, economic marketplace or you know monetizing content to I need to understand how this how this works where do tokens come from how do people get them you know why is this distribution method so effective and what are all the ways that it translates into value and so it started from you know zero and went to 60 almost instantaneously from there on out after my first couple months just posting on the blockchain as an end user I became incredibly involved with understanding the 
technology side of it a bit better, understanding the way that the blockchain itself worked, where the tokens came from, and all of the different sort of benefits from this chain. And it became a huge part of my life and has been ever since. And so, of course, the Steam blockchain went through what was essentially a 51% attack, and the Hive community picked up and left. And it was an incredible time. And this project, this ecosystem, this expansive blockchain that, you know, this project has blossomed into is specifically because a bunch of people who share values and who had already built a strong community looked at what was happening in the space that they loved and decided, nope, we don't want to see a centralized aspect. We're going to leave and we're going to take the value that we create with our blockchain with us and we're going to do it again. And that's exactly what happened. And honestly, that hasn't really happened ever before. There's never been a blockchain where a fork has spun off in response to an attack and has not just flourished, but outperformed the legacy blockchain on every metric and continued and completely pivoted away and continued expanding what was offered by the ecosystem. So uh, I'm incredibly proud of what Hive's done over the past two years and, of course, the, the five years, six years since Steam's inception and sort of this wild story of how Hive came about and how it has arguably one of the truest and strongest communities in the crypto space. I remember when Steamit was somewhat dominant at the time and when Justin's son came in, I don't know the full story there, though. Was it more like those two were going at it and the community just was like, you know what, we're going this direction? You know, it really wasn't that Steemit Inc. and uh, Justin Sun were at odds. It was, it was actually the opposite. And so there needs to be a little bit of understanding about the Steam side of things to truly understand Hive. And, and you know... Uh, certainly Steam is its own thing now, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have strong opinions on it. But what I can say is the Steam blockchain was being developed by a essentially a sort of corporate entity, a company full of devs with a founder, a co-founder, and that was Steemit Inc. And that was constantly uh, um, sort of a point of confusion for people is the Steam blockchain was being developed by Steemit Inc. and they were creating a social site called Steemit. Essentially, what was happening is this was a decentralized blockchain, but most of the decisions were being obviously driven by the core dev team who were uh, a centralized company. And they had an incredibly large stake of founders tokens at the time. Steemit Inc. did. And there was sort of this unspoken and, and then eventually spoken idea that these founders tokens would be used sort of like a developer's fund and that they were never to be used for voting with governance. Now, the Hive blockchain is something called DPoS, which is delegated proof of stake. And it works a little bit differently um, than, you know, sort of the, the base proof of stake that you might be familiar with because of other chains. But to kind of not get too far into the weeds, the idea is, is if you have tokens locked up, if you have tokens staked, you can vote 
on block producers and on aspects of governance around the blockchain. And so Steam at Inc. having this giant cache of founders' tokens, we as a community were always just trusting that they would never be used to vote for block producers and were never going to be used in a way um, that essentially drowned out the voice of the community stakeholders. And for the first uh, you know, few years, that was the case. Now, in the background, what had happened is Steam at Inc. and, you know, Ned Scott and, and the company, or at least the higher-ups in the company at Steam at Inc., were making a deal to sell Steam at Inc., the company, to Justin Sun. And as part of that deal, uh, all of those founders' tokens went to Justin Sun as well. And that's where the whole thing sort of kicked off, is we had always sort of known that as long as Steam at Inc. was uh, adhering to their idea of developing the ecosystem and holding those tokens without using them for governance, that we were pretty happy with the way that things were going. But when Justin Sun came into the picture, one of the very first things that happened were those founders' tokens were essentially used to vote for block producers. Now, that is something that really nobody kind of knew where it would go until Justin Sun started using them to vote for his own block producers. Not a decentralized group, not members of the community, not node runners and developers and, and sort of the widespread of block producers or witnesses that we have now, but essentially a bunch of nodes being run on the same servers under control of people in his company. Now, if you're in the blockchain space, the entire point of having a decentralized ledger is to have that information spread across nodes all around the world, run by anybody who wants to run them. And so having a blockchain where the governance um, method or this sort of protocol is a consensus that is the top 20 block producers deciding on what the code actually is run, having Justin Sun using founders tokens and voting in all his own block producers was incredibly worrisome. And so the community started banding behind their own witnesses uh, in an attempt to make sure that consensus was still controlled by the community. And at that point, Justin Sun actually went to a number of centralized exchanges and told them that there was an attack on the blockchain happening and that he needed to use some of the funds that were held on exchanges. He needed them to be powered up to repel this attack on the blockchain. And that's kind of wild when you think about it because it was a bald-faced lie. And it actually, what he was warning them about having happen was what he created. He took centralized exchange funds, powered them up, used them in a voting block with his own control over founders tokens, and then basically instilled, a, uh, installed, pardon me, a bunch of puppet witnesses to take over the blockchain. Wild. Absolutely wild. That is astonishing. Yeah. I can't imagine being in the situation crypto is full of tribalism and it's not like a bad thing but it's more so like picking your favorite sports team and going with it because let's face it we can't possibly diversify into every crypto out there but we can do our best to throw some darts and you know eventually the thought of everything happens for a reason because you end up landing in the right spot 
or you maybe not. Of course, I like that you have a philosophical approach to the idea of how Steam it started, and I see Hive today as this giant ecosystem. Could you tell us a little bit about the ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that when I talk about sort of my passion for Hive, both from a technological side, but but also from a philosophical side, is that that moment, that sort of defining moment where the community had to decide, are we okay with what's happening and we don't have control over it? Or do we think there's a better way that goes along with our values in the crypto ecosystem? And so obviously you never want to start a, uh, an interview or a podcast about a blockchain talking about the worst ever thing that's happened and the blockchain that came before. But this was a turning point where everybody in the community said, you know what? We just don't agree. And so what happened was we just pivoted away. We used open source code. We created a fork. We went out, we did the work and everybody said, cool, you know what? You're doing what you're doing. We can't control you, but we can control what we do. And that's where Hive came from. And so when we talk about this big ecosystem, it's not just about the dApps that are being built right now that exist, the ones that are coming. It's not just about the amount of wallet addresses and, you know, sort of the growth that we've seen over the past two years. It is about that Hive started on this incredibly human note. And it started with a community already sort of very entrenched in ideals of self-sovereignty, of a data protection, of social interaction. All of these things were already incredibly important. And a bunch of people came and created the project. Now, in today's sort of market, uh, especially when you talk about new projects emerging in crypto, what happens is, you know, some founder team gets a great idea, and then they have to build a community. And this is the opposite in that Hive kind of started with all sorts of incredibly talented people and a really mixed group of end users, game players, bloggers, content creators, content consumers. You had community builders, incredible developers, investors, speculators. All of these people came together and said, yep, we're going to do things our way and we're going to do it in our own ecosystem. So, when we talk a little bit about how vast and how big the Hive ecosystem is becoming, it's really just a continuation of that community. You know, at first, we all sort of came to the same place with the idea that content is what makes the internet go round. And content, whether you create it or consume it, is the basis for all of our relationships on the internet, especially when we talk about social media. So we started off with blogging dApps, but one of the things that we've realized, especially in these bear markets where we don't have the same hype cycles that these boom and bust projects do, you know, we never see 7,000 time game, times gains and then this insane plummet, but instead this slow growth. And a lot of that essentially comes from the fact that people are so focused on value in their Hive tokens, but value in their relationships. And that's a really big one. 
when I follow someone on the Hive blockchain, I'm using my wallet address, which is also, you know, a username and an identity. So I have a financial tie to my assets and my tokens. But I've also got information that's tied to me that is valuable in a lot of ways that doesn't necessarily have a token attached. And what I'm talking about is the ability for a content creator to create a following or all of the votes I've ever made, uh, you know, in a governance aspect recorded on chain or, you know, the ability to send encrypted memos between myself and someone else. Yes, it's a financial transaction, but it's also a transaction that I can move data in a safe and secure way. And all of these little bits are apart from the idea of a crypto token that is worth, you know, the equivalent fiat dollar value. But they're all incredibly important parts of value in an ecosystem. And so at this point, what people have realized is this blockchain that initially sort of became created with the idea of social media in mind has grown so far beyond that. And it's starting to power an entire group of connected Web3 dApps. And that's the part that I find really exciting is we're starting to learn that as other ecosystems are struggling with scale or are struggling with some of the more basic things like usernames, gas fees, you know, what needs to go on base layer and what needs to stay in the second layer, that we in a lot of ways, already had those tackled. Um, And now we've also got an ecosystem full of people who've had enough experience with social media that they're shaping where the core development goes from here as part of their governance. That's amazing. And it's so vast. I mean, I was looking the other day and there is NFT markets, there is social medias, and there's games. It's just amazing to see the community power behind Hive. Some things that interest me is 3Speak, which is a social media video platform, and also Leo Finance is another one I've checked out. One cool thing is I see that Splinterlands has finally made it over to Hive, and that is cool to see cross-chain games making it over. Well, I mean, not to correct you, but uh, Splinterlands has actually been with Hive since the inception of Hive. Um, And so the Splinterlands game is actually fully powered by the Hive blockchain. All of the information about your account, about your NFTs, your assets is actually powered by Hive. But you're right in that they do have a ton of cross-blockchain interoperability. And so for a long time, Splinterlands was and still is compatible with Steam. There is still a connection to Steam for players that were, you know, initially introduced to the game there, but also at Tron and Wax and BNB. And so there are a number of blockchain connections back to Splinterlands. And it has become the most played in and essentially the biggest blockchain game in the world really sort of set the stage for Hive as a great fit for game developers who wanted to solve some of the tricky aspects of blockchain gaming. And and that's something as simple as key safety. And, you know, as we look at something like, say, using MetaMask and Ethereum to, you know, log into different dApps or or services in that ecosystem, one of the biggest things that you have uh, as a vulnerability is a single key. If 
for any reason you're using that key to sign a transaction, to move your assets, and for whatever reason you lose control of it, that's basically the end of you. And, you know, when it comes down to allowing people to get into gaming on a blockchain level where they're starting to take true ownership of their own assets. They're starting to explore things like play to earn or, you know, any of the benefits that blockchain gaming gives a user. Hive has a tiered key system that makes it a lot easier, A, for developers to be able to connect to the Hive blockchain without asking for high authority uh, keys, but also for users to decide how they interact with games and to do it in a way using, you know, any one of our sort of keychain is one, Hive Authentication Services, uh, Hive Signer. We have a number of open source software solutions that help you with key management, but essentially work as global login uh, for people. And that's such a hard one in a space where Everybody understands social media. Everybody understands playing games. The part that's hard about blockchain specifically is understanding that you're taking control of your own security in a lot of cases, potentially your own asset custody. Um, and you often do have mistakes that happen and they're kind of expensive lessons. And for us, knowing that we're bringing people who have never been involved in blockchain bringing them into the space because they want to connect with friends, connect with content creators, or, you know, play games. We're bringing people in and giving them some tools to make sure that they can take advantage of all these benefits, but still not necessarily uh, have their highest authority, their keys, their assets at risk when they do that. Um, we're kind of a hand-holding blockchain. It, it sounds a little silly, but we've got this sort of magical place where you're connecting newbies who need help and being able to kind of give them a little bit of a handholding, but without doing that in a way where you're taking custody of their assets or you are essentially eroding their ability to do this on their own. Um, and that's so important to me because these are the ways that the people who aren't interested in blockchain yet, who aren't with us yet, they're not they're not interested in the blockchain aspects that we know. What they are going to be interested in is the tasks they're doing now, the services they love now, the games, the products they love now, the companies they love now, but with some added benefits for themselves. And that's going to be the next thing is somebody who doesn't care about hard, sound money might care about being able to play a game where if one of the servers goes offline, it doesn't matter. They still have their assets and all of the people they played with available to them. And that's what resonates with a lot of people about the Hive ecosystem. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of great aspects about being a full network, but I also wonder sometimes, it seems that every day or so there's a new network forming, such as recently, I believe Aptos is one that's taking off. Do you believe that someday all these networks will tether into each other and create a massive Web3 decentralized internet? Or do you think that it's going to be always kind of like a competitive approach? 
You know, in my heart of hearts, I obviously want, I want all of the chains that are doing unique, valuable things in a way that aligns with crypto values. I want them to succeed and I want them to be fully interoperational. I would love to see this idea of us being self-sovereign and taking decision-making and, you know, our data and our attention, frankly, uh, wherever we want to and not being forced into certain relationships with big companies or with, you know, monopolies that are formed. That being said, I do think that because the blockchain space is right now sort of the new frontier, that whether we like it or not, there will be as many networks formed that will crash and burn, that will fail, that are being created in a malicious way, that are being created in a very altruistic way that still will fail. And so I think we're still in a shakeout period and that's going to go on. I mean, anytime you're at the bleeding edge of tech or you're in the disruptive tech space, there's simply going to be a lot of great ideas that just don't go the distance. And so, you know, I think what we'll probably see is these projects that have been around longer or that can make it through a bear cycle or a couple, frankly, will start finding ways uh, to allow people to move seamlessly between chains or to move assets. We're already starting to see this with, you know, cross-chain contracts and, and different aspects of DeFi and, you know, in the case of something like Splinterlands, a place where you can use a wallet from many chains to enter into a game and, you know, connect to an existing blockchain. I think I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle in that we will see this interoperability, but it will probably be maybe like 10 solid chains instead of the thousands of projects, networks, platforms, protocols, blockchains that we're seeing every day right now. We're definitely going to see some of this, some of these things fall by the wayside. And, you know, sadly, we're, we're certainly in that process right now. I mean, we're seeing some absolutely spectacular collapses around the space. I couldn't agree more. I do think that we'll see lots of trends continuing. Like we've gone through, for example, NFT wave, ICO wave, and there's a lot of others in between that. Do you see any particular wave being the next thing? Or do you believe that maybe becoming a main network is the current wave? That's a great question. Wow, that's something I've never really given a lot of thought to. I will say that, uh, you know, if if my forward-thinking vision on what would happen uh, was terribly accurate, I would probably be quite a bit richer than I am now. But with that, <laughs> with that being said, um, you know, I do think that that is the nature of being human is we find a thing that fascinates us and we focus in on it and we just, we get fixated. And I think that's probably going to continue. Trends have never gone away, right? They come and they go. But the idea is there's always a trend. And, you know, DeFi summer, NFT summer, ICO summer, you're right, all of these things, they were wild. And then they subsided. And it just seems to always have to happen is there will be a new idea that we will become fixated on. We'll turn it over in our hands. We'll build a bunch of stuff with it. And eventually we'll kind of have it memorized or we'll decide it's not exciting anymore and we'll put it down. And it will still be part of the ecosystem, but it won't be such a focal point. 
I think becoming a whole network is not necessarily something that uh, that will drive sort of the next wave of excitement and adoption, even though that should be the goal. And in, you know, in a perfect world, that's how it would work. I simply don't think that people work like that. Um, and, and so there are a couple of things now that we're starting to see had a little bit of a, a moment before things kind of turned into the bear. And that's a lot of play to earn, move to earn. The idea that you can participate in a network that has monetization aspects that are more passive is very uh, attractive to people. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of chains are starting to explore. What does it look like when we have a system for rewarding someone for playing our game, using our app, um, signing up for one of our services, uh, for locking up stake in the blockchain, whatever the case may be. So the sort of blank to earn to me anyways, is something that is going to continue to draw people into the ecosystem. But I think it's also uh, something that we're going to constantly have to be rejigging as we go. Because obviously, a loss leader is something that's not necessarily sustainable in the terms of like a, a regular click uh, brick and mortar or uh, web two business. The idea of we're going to give something away to get people in the door. In the crypto space, if you're talking about, well, you can come here and you can jump in and start playing this game and we guarantee you're going to earn something. That might attract people, um, but it's not sustainable. And so when we talk about these sort of blank to earn, play to earn, move to earn, you know, rate to earn, whatever the the sort of um, underlying objective of the app is. It can't be the only value proposition that is being put forth. And so I think that's probably this next wave that we'll see. If there's anything that's going to take off, it's going to be people who are currently using social media, games, internet-based services, who are starting to realize that these things could not exist without them. And as such, there should probably be some form of reciprocity. You know, Facebook needs you to come and look at advertisements. YouTube needs you to come and watch videos and consume advertisements. And that is the monetization model that exists now. And we've always known that that's had to change. It's It's been changing with the way that we consume even just streaming media or downloading things now. But when it comes to the social aspects and, and Web3 connected dApps and a bunch of networks who now say, hey, listen, we have tokens, we're building monetization, they're going to have to set themselves apart in a way that isn't just about giving away funds. And I think that's going to be the thing that separates out networks in this sort of coming cycle is, are you just bribing people with tokens or do you have enough going on in the ecosystem and enough product services, connections and value that people will stay regardless of whether or not you're bribing them? Yeah, that is just incredible to even think about when you're Talking about things like this, it makes me think about education and how maybe someday there could be crypto scholarships or even tokenized education systems. 
Do you think that that's something that could happen in the next decade? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I do. And and I think one of the things that is um, both amazing and terrifying is the idea that when you are using a blockchain and and especially something like, say, Hive, uh, where you're creating a digital identity for yourself... The most important part is that you control it, right? I mean, we know that governments want to do this. We know that companies build data profiles on us. We know there are lots of uh, sort of equivalents that already exist in today's world. But if we're talking specifically about using blockchain in a way that can benefit you, imagine for a second, not you. maybe you do. Maybe you're granted this crypto scholarship. And not only that, once you have collected those funds, and each time you hit a milestone in your learning or you produce something, you know, that you contribute to the open repo or whatever the metric is for that, you gain a soulbound uh, NFT or a token that's attached to your wallet address, which of course is your identity, that proves here's the thing that I've done. And in fact, kind of points back to a period in time that is recorded on the blockchain. You don't have to worry that somebody, you know, went to a prestigious school, but actually, no, they just went to the copy place down the street and faked a diploma or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of value in being able to um, voluntarily lock information about yourself into a blockchain. The really important part is the voluntary aspect. If I want to stay mostly anon, I will participate in the things that I want to participate in. I will build sort of the identity that matches my values. But if I'm wanting to use, you know, my blockchain address as a place to get tips for people to come look at my work, to record my contributions to an ecosystem, to prove, you know, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that I attended an event, that I engaged in a meeting, whatever you can imagine, these are all things that can be recorded in a social blockchain like Hive. And then anyone, anywhere, anytime can go into the ledger and verify that. And, you know, it's why we love Bitcoin is like why we love hard money. The idea of you can verify, you don't have to trust. And in a lot of ways, that's really important to the way that we do business or the way that we connect with each other. And often we do just have to trust. And that's a really crucial part of human engagement. But, you know, sometimes you wonder if we did have some of this information available in a public ledger about some of the people that are working or are leading in this space, would we have run into the same troubles that we have now? It's a it's a big question. Um, so obviously, I'm very much. Uh, I think it's very important that you, as an individual, are the arbiter of what you want locked into the chain about yourself. Uh, but I think that the opportunity to shape that is really, really valuable going forward, whether that's from a relationship or educational or even you know financial perspective. It's, it's about being able to choose for yourself, but the rest of it is, is incredibly valuable. Truly, and I could not agree more. I think that as this next generations and the ones after come into the space and as it becomes more normalized as well as a part of daily life, 
that we're really going to see these things take off to the next level. NFT music and NFT artwork is just the beginning. I do believe that. And it's interesting to see where the innovations go. It's almost too hard to digest every bit of information that is coming into the space on a weekly. It's becoming a part of our everyday life. And there's not really going to be a way to get around any cryptocurrency related things in the future. With that said, I would like to ask you some questions about the delegated proof of stake and how does one partake in that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So delegated proof of stake is the idea that when you are staking your assets, so let's talk a little bit about um, sort of some traditional crypto ideas and a way of understanding the Hive token. Staking in a lot of cases, when you think about it in today's sort of crypto spaces, okay, I know I'm going to be locking up my tokens. I'm going to have them staked in a way that they will benefit me. I know that I am sort of moving them from a liquid state and I am putting some restrictions on them on how they can be moved, but I'm gaining something back. In a delegated proof of stake system like Hive, you have a couple of benefits that come from this process. Staking your Hive essentially it makes it for instead of liquid hive tokens you have something that we call hive power and what that means is it is locked up and you can of course unstake it but it does take uh, a period of 13 weeks to do and so what that means is once you've staked your hive into hive power that hive power you can use it in a voting system. And you can actually use it as your voice, your stake-weighted voice, on a number of different governance issues. Now, when we talk about sort of the distribution mechanism in Hive, or one of the distribution mechanisms, if you have Hive power, you can go around and vote on content. There's a daily reward pool with some of the emissions of newly created Hive tokens. And when the community goes around and votes on content with their Hive power, what they're actually doing is putting their voice behind the content that they would like to see some of that new Hive distributed towards. So that's one way you can do it. And the interesting thing that happens with that is while you are voting for Hive to be distributed to content, you're actually also earning Hive as well. There's a split on that reward pool that's being allocated by Hive stakeholders. So as you're going around curating content, you're not just saying, here's where I'm going to allocate some of the resources. Uh, I'm also going to sort of earn a finder's fee for great content. And that's something that anybody with Staked Hive can participate in. So that's one aspect, but it's actually quite a small one in the uh, in the scheme of things. You have your Hive power and you have your Staked Hive, but it's also lending your voice to the sort of core governance issues. And the biggest one is voting for witnesses who are, uh, that's a term for block producers in this case. Now, Block producers are the ones who are obviously using software, running nodes, and they are collecting up transactions, making sure that they follow the rules of the Hive blockchain, and then obviously signing them and placing them into the blockchain where they become 
irreversible. So when you have hive power, you can vote for those block producers um, and you're essentially lending your stake towards the block producers that you would like to see in consensus and making the software decisions for the Hive blockchain. We have a DAO mechanism as well. It's called the DHF. That's the Decentralized Hive Fund. And again, with Hive Power, if you want to go and you want to vote towards proposals that you would like to see the blockchain pay out towards, you can do that as well. Um, So there are a number of aspects to DPoS that are essentially the idea of you can put your tokens to work for you. You know, you have assets that are valuable and if you're willing to kind of lock them up for a period of time inside the ecosystem, you can delegate that weight, that stake weighting that you have towards decisions that you want to be made around the ecosystem on your behalf. And If you decide in the future, okay, you know what, I'm done, I I want it back, no problem. You can unstake, you don't lose anything over the course of having your hive locked up. And in fact, while you're having hive that is staked in the uh, staked with the blockchain, you're actually earning about, I think right now it's three or 4% APR um, because we do have a, um, a, dis- a decreasing distribution um, for the token over time. So while your hive is actually locked up at hive po- as hive power, you're actually earning a bit of APR as well. So there's a number of incentives for you to do that, but you don't have to. Once again, it's kind of a voluntary thing. If you want to participate participate in governance, if you want to have a say in token distribution, DAO uh, funding, block production, any of those things, absolutely. Whatever you've got built up, whether you've earned it, purchased it, traded for it, you can use that to shape the ecosystem. If you're somebody who's not interested in that aspect, no problem. You can keep it liquid. You can um, you participate in a number of other activities around the ecosystem. But the blockchain obviously doesn't treat your votes and your voice as important if you're not willing to put a bit of skin into the game. Thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense. I was just curious about the proof of brain concept. Is that something that Hive invented or innovated? Yeah. And I mean, again, we have to kind of reference the legacy blockchain, but the idea that humans distribute a portion of the tokens, not in choosing, you know, friends or not through an airdrop or whatever else, um, you know, jumping through hoops, but the idea of as you move around the ecosystem and you engage with content that has come from other people, you read it, you like it, you hate it, whatever your engagement is with it, the idea that that can be a basis for token distribution is a really interesting one. And that's essentially what proof of brain is all about. Rather than just, you know, coming to a faucet and clicking or rather than fulfilling some sort of completely arbitrary set of tasks to earn a couple tokens, the idea is the people that already have some stake then can move around the ecosystem and meet more people who are in one way or another showing proof of brain. They're not automated tasks. These are people creating content, writing comments, um, you know, engaging with each other in a way that is truly human. And 
now making that as a basis for token distribution. It's fascinating. It's not the only distribution aspect of Hive, but it's a really important one, um, largely because it allows for people to start in the ecosystem with nothing. And while you certainly won't get rich, let's be very let's be very honest. Um, what it does mean is if you're not sure about crypto, if you don't have a giant wallet to buy in, if you're kind of interested in the tech aspects and you're you know not really sold on the token aspects, you can come, you can make yourself an account, and you can start off just by going and saying hi to people, reading blogs on stuff that interests you, uh, and becoming part of the community. And there's a chance that as you're doing that, that you're going to earn a bit of hive. You can stake that, and then you can start curating, you can start playing games, whatever the case may be. But it means that this ecosystem is really approachable, especially for people who are nervous about other blockchains where the buy-in is high, or there's something like gas fees or other types of fees that erode the amount of assets that you have over time. Hive doesn't have gas fees. Um, in fact, Hive is completely fee-less. It, it's got a different way of, of handling network load. So proof of brain is this sort of little idea that when you are engaging with people across the Hive blockchain and across the Hive network, that you're actually also participating in token distribution. Um, and it's really interesting because if you do kind of go around the Hive ecosystem and take a look, the diversity of people participating in the ecosystem, the wild spread of ge uh, geographical, gender, uh, financial, you know, uh, uh, class, I suppose. It's it's one of the most diverse that I've ever seen. And part of that is because people can approach it um, and, and start out with the proof of brain element, which is easily understood and often is that gateway into the more blockchain-centric stuff like trading, like uh, investing, like getting involved with NFTs or with uh, DeFi or one of the other options that are available. Um, and I think it's really unique in that it really kind of comes back to taking advantage of the fact that people understand social tasks and that that's what the internet has completely evolved to be. Social media is an incredibly important part of our lives. And the things that we do using social media have become second nature to us. Um, having that become part of the way that we distribute tokens in a network means that we're doing it in a very human fashion. And it ends up allowing us to kind of distribute in a way that doesn't always um, favor a certain group or, you know, compound wealth where somebody has got the biggest wallet to buy in. It, there's a lot more avenues for people to participate. And that's really attractive um, when it comes down to making things easier for people who aren't crypto savvy to kind of approach the ecosystem. That's freaking awesome. Totally a vibe that I suggest that everyone should check out, especially when it comes to just getting into cryptocurrency. It's a great way to learn what the space is truly pushing and bringing in to the future aspects of it. What would you say is 
the best way to get involved with Hive and where to start? Ooh, well... I kind of always look at Hive um, from a couple of different angles. And, and one of the nice things is, as somebody who started as just a normie end user, that's probably the most important group on Hive. It's the heart and soul of everybody pulling together, making decisions, shaping governance votes. You know, one of the things that we kind of miss in a lot of other ecosystems is the most tech-savvy people are often the ones that, you know, can go make comments on a repository or whatever the case may be. Hive, because it has an entire component of the network that is social, if, you know, an end user says, hey, listen, I don't like that the code is like this and I don't understand why, and, you know, writes a question, a comment about it, there is a feedback loop that actually exists inside our ecosystem. You know, if you're just a regular Joe Blow who came to play a, a game, but you're like, hey, I don't understand this token, or, hey, I want to propose something different, you literally have the ability to go to one of the social media platforms on the blockchain and propose that or talk about it or engage in communications with the other groups that are around, namely big stakeholders, speculators and investors, that's another group, or developers, obviously a pretty important group. Or one that I think gets overlooked a lot, but that are really coming into the Hive ecosystem more and more frequently now, are uh, the business people, entrepreneurs, project managers, people who want to start up a game or a service. And so there's sort of these four groups, the, the regular user, content creator and consumer, the investor, whether that's a trader or a speculator, the developer who's interested in the tech or wants to come work with the code base, and the entrepreneur or the business person who wants to use the blockchain to power their company or their service. Um, and all of these groups get to mingle freely. It's, uh, it's a really interesting dynamic. And so if you wanted to get started on Hive, it's going to look a little different depending on which one of those you are. Um, but in general, most people are content creators or content consumers. And so probably one of the easiest ways to get started on Hive would be to pick one of the blogging front ends and just check out some content. What do you do on social media now? When you go to a website or when you spend time on your computer, what are you doing? Um, what are the things that interest you best? There's probably an equivalent inside the Hive ecosystem that will feel fresh and new and also really familiar. And to me, that's the easiest way to learn a new skill, right? We contextualize it by things that we find interesting or that uh, we recognize and enjoy. So for most people, checking out something like a front end, like Peak D is one. It's a beautiful long form content front end. There's a great one called Essency, and that's a, it's both desktop and mobile, but the mobile experience is excellent. Uh, another social site. There are a number of them that are sort of up and coming. Um, another great example for sort of blogging content, but short form would be, as you mentioned, uh, Leo Finance has something called Leo Threads, and that is essentially like Twitter, an immutable Twitter, um, short microblogging about pretty much any topic. There are an incredible array of, of dApps, um, but some of the ones that I think that 
will be seeing more of, especially this year, is uh, there's one called Like To, and it is essentially um, an Instagram alternative. It's photo forward. It's very visual. It looks great on phones. It's... um, it's kind of an answer to the fact that Instagram has become one big trash heap of ads and algorithms where there are no actual humans left. <laughs> yes. So, it's yeah, insane. to kind of, there was a reason that app was created initially, and it's because we love to share photos. I, I want to see what you ate for lunch. Darn it. And, you know... We, we've lost some of that. We've we've lost some of the humanness of that. And it's hilarious that potentially blockchain is, you know, this this incredible, you know, forward thinking technology is going to be the thing that brings it back within our reach. And yet here we are. Um, so, yeah, for getting started, I think for most people, there's probably a type of content that you check in on day to day. And there is definitely a social app that matches up with that type of content on the Hive blockchain. Um, And that's probably the best place to start because as you become curious about the economics or the marketplaces or the technical aspects, it turns out you can just go on those social sites and read posts from people who are engaging in the technical stuff, the trading, the marketplaces. You don't actually have to go anywhere else for knowledge. You can, the people that you're uh, kind of starting out with, making friends, building relationships, watching their cute gaming live streams, potentially are the people who are actually going to teach you about what else is possible with blockchain. Um, And all of that kind of is opened up to you. And you you can learn, read, look at, Listen to, watch as much or as little as you want. That's that voluntary aspect again. Um, For a lot of people, they come, they make a Splinterlands account, they play the game, and they never do anything else with their Hive blockchain account. That's A-OK. You don't have to. But if you want to, there is a whole ecosystem that's available to you the second you create that wallet address. Thank you so much, Crimson Clad, and I'm happy that you decided to jump on the podcast. You're our great guest, and if anybody wants to find out more about you and more about Hive.io, where do we go to learn more? Oh, yeah. Well, about me, I'm not terribly interesting. I'm just one of the sort of community members that um, is incredibly passionate, and I work outreach and operations behind the scene. Um, You can find me on Twitter, but frankly, where you should find me is on any Hive blockchain app at CrimsonClad. Uh, but that being said, Hive.io is a great resource for learning about the blockchain and the ecosystem. If you want to learn a little bit more about sort of the Hive blockchain and how it relates to you and what you can do with it, there's another great site that is whyhive.co. And that's a place where you can actually get linked up with making an account as well. Um, but those two sites will be a great place to start. I've mentioned some of the dApps. Uh, But realistically, if you see me anywhere out and about, please feel free, shoot me a message. This is what I do all day, every day. I want to get people into this space where they're talking with you or they're getting to know their options for becoming a little more self-sovereign in their data security, their financial security. And I want to see a space where Web3 is connecting more people and letting them connect to the things that are most important to them. 
Thank you, Crimson Clad, and thank you for everyone listening to Verify Crypto. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. That is all for Episode 3. This episode is sponsored by StakeCube. Trade, earn, build. StakeCube is an all-in-one crypto ecosystem equipped with an exchange, NFT marketplace, staking, and more. Join the future of finance while earning competitive APYs through multiple strategies across a wide range of crypto assets. With safety and efficiency in mind at StakeCube.net. Verify Crypto is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Information shared from the host or guests featured in this recording should not be viewed as investment or financial advice. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are considered as risky and speculative investments. If you're seeking investment or financial advice, find a licensed and professional financial advisor. Mm-hmm.